Okay, starting tonight, we're moving into 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles at the same time because there's quite a bit that parallels through the account. We've been through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, we'll be 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings and then 2 Kings. And we will have covered about 500 years of the history of Israel, God willing, when we get through all of that. But it gives us a, a good firm foundation for much of what follows in the, in the era post-capture, uh, post-captivity. And that, of course, lays the groundwork for the New Testament and our Lord coming into the world. So would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Kings 1. Now we'll backtrack a little bit here because when we finished 1 Chronicles, we saw that David, and it was a brief account. This is a deeper account here that David had uh, given the throne to Solomon. And when, when we finished that, Solomon was the king, but not much was said. Here we go back a little bit and we find out uh, some of the things that happened leading up to Solomon's being named the king. It's an interesting story, but it also, I mean, everything, whenever we study the Old Testament, it doesn't matter where it is, prophets or the historical books, books of wisdom, the Torah, the law. Every time we read a passage of scripture, in our minds, we should think these four words and then study the scripture in the Old Testament. Jesus is coming, therefore, and then read that passage of scripture because the whole thing is leading, leading to the coming of the Christ the first time and then the coming of the Christ the second time, the establishment of the kingdom. And we know from what the angel says in the Revelation that uh, Jesus Christ, he's the spirit of prophecy. He's, he's the bottom line of the whole Bible from Genesis 1-1 to the Revelation 22-21. So I call this part in chapter 1 the crisis of succession. Whenever... There's a transition in an organization and especially a large organization. There's quite a bit of uncharted territory switching from one administration to another. Um, the previous administration, executive, whatever, king here, passing the baton to the next one. When the old guy begins to show himself as being old, the younger guys smell blood. And there's just all kind of conspiracy if, you, if, you, if it's a large organization, even in a large church. A lot of, a lot of 
conspiracy that goes on and a lot of uh, positioning and, and so forth. At this moment in time, when David is old and near death, it can easily be said that the greatest nation in that part of the world, and it was their world, I mean, they, they couldn't have known about the Far East or what was happening in the Americas, it was just that part of the world. The greatest nation in that part of the world, the Middle East, the greater Middle East, was Israel. They were, they were solid, uh, they were prosperous, strong army, strong leadership, uh, the, the other nations wouldn't dare move against Israel. King David packed a lot of living in his years. And we begin to see that all of, that he had done in his life really brings him to a lifespan that was shorter than most, really. When you look and consider other Old Testament characters, other kings in, uh, in the Old Testament. Because David died at the age of 70. So he begins to show the wear and tear of his life that was lived at super speed. Most likely in his late 60s. We already saw the failure of Absalom. We're going to see another failure here, but this time it causes the king and those who are closest to him to recognize the truth that he needed to be the one to arrange the transfer of power. It did not need to be arranged for him by others. So it's an interesting study on the transfer of power. It's always best when current leadership in any organization begins to age visibly. I've seen, I mean, I've seen guys that were as sharp as they could be well into their 90s. Dr. Robert, uh, well, Luther Rice guy. Um, I'll be. He was my mentor. Okay. <laughs> I'm demonstrating my, my weakness here. He was, he was, he was on his third wife. He was the head of Luther I Seminary and he outlived two other women and he got a, he got a younger woman. She was just in her seventies, I think. Um, and so he, he was at the, we had him at a previous church and he spoke for us in a short meeting, a brief meeting, filled the pulpit a couple of times. And he was popular speaker everywhere. And he, uh, people were talking about how at his motel, he was high diving off the high dive. He was 92 years old. Uh, so he was still very sharp, vigorous, healthy. And uh, the only thing about it was he wore hearing aid. He had two hearing aids, one in each ear. Makes sense, doesn't it? One in each ear, two hearing aids. I don't, unless he wanted to hear stereo and then he had two. Anyway, he, uh, 
he was just as sharp as he could be. And um, he is a, a case in point where in his case, <clears throat> he continued to be in a high position of leadership and he died exactly at 100 years old. He was 100 years old. He, when he was in his 90s, if, has anyone here ever heard of Dr. Herbert Lockyer? You have. Well, of course you have. He wrote, uh, he spent his life writing a series of books. It was called The All Series, A-L-L. All the prayers in the Bible. All the prophets of the Bible. All the apostles. All the, everything, everything you think of. I think it was like 13 volumes. It's a tremendous scholar. And he was, he was well past a hundred and he was in the hospital. And uh, Dr. Brother Robert went to see him and he referred to my seminary mentor as just a child. He said, you're just a child. And one was 92 and the other, I think he was 102 or 103. Of course, there were, there are examples of where people lived well into age and were, were strong. You know, um, Caleb, he, he, nothing was going to stop him. He was 80 years old. I want that mountain. It's the toughest, it's the best place, but it's the toughest to get. And he took it. But in David's case, however, as in the cases of so many, all of his successes and all of the turmoil, the strife, the battles, everything about it had obviously taken its toll. And so he shows himself to be old in his, in his late 60s. Because of that, of course, one son had already tried to take uh, the throne, and that failed. Now another son is secretly behind the back of his, of his daddy, of his father, King David, is also trying to take the throne. So let, let's look at it. First of all, we'll consider David's old age. Let's look at this. This is interesting. King David was old. He came into his old age and they covered him with clothes. You can't see part of it because of me. I, I put too many letters on the slide and it's pilot error. And I probably knew that was wrong when I did it. They covered him with clothes, blankets, but he was not warmed. You ever have a, you ever had an old person in your home? Pat has an old hurt person in her home. <laughs> Shivers all the time. Pat wants it down on 60 and I want it up on 78. And sometimes there's no small stir among the brethren. But here he is, he's shivering all the time. It gets good here. <laughs> and his servants said to him, let's go find him a young virgin, a young virgin. And she shall stand before the king 
and she shall be to him a warmer. <laughs> and she shall lie in your lap, and it shall be warm for my Lord, the king. Now, if you're not the king, you have to go downtown and buy a goat bladder and fill that up with hot water, right? But if you're the king, you get a warm virgin. And that's what the Bible says. That's not me pornographing the Bible here. Well, I made a contest out of it. <laughs> Who's the hottest girl in the land? They sought a beautiful young girl throughout the borders of Israel. Found Abishag, the Shunammites, brought her to the king. Now let's talk about this just a second. I have it underlined because the definite article is used in the Hebrew text. She's not just a Shunammite. She is the Shunammite. In this culture, this kind of service was not unusual for old people who couldn't get worn. As a matter of fact, uh, Josephus writes about that. Well, Galen, a Greek physician writing I don't know, sometime after this, some hundreds of years, but still the practice was to find a, a young girl who could warm an old person who shivered and couldn't get, couldn't get warm. And such a young girl was called in the Greek text in the time of Galen, it was called a physician. In this case, or in the case of Josephus, when he writes on the Jewish history, and he wrote hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but Josephus refers to this servant girl, this girl, as a physician. I say all that because the definite article is used in the Hebrew text, and it might be that this is something that she actually made a living at. She knew what to do about <laughs> positioning herself. <laughs> this is a difficult text to preach. I'm sure it is. <sighs> it says in his lap, right? She shall lie in your lap. And it shall be warm for my Lord the King. Thank God we have electric blankets today, right, guys? We don't have to. We don't have to. We don't have to fool with this anymore. There's also in Second Kings. There's also a place where it kind of references back to this, and it seems as though David made her a concubine which would have legalized the whole thing and nobody would have been that shocked by what was going on. But he didn't make her a wife. 
because that would have shocked people at his old age and his condition. That's could be or could not be according to how, how much you want to play with the language that's over in that part of Second Kings. Okay. The young girl was very beautiful. What if she was ugly? If she's just a lap warmer, what difference would it make? But she's beautiful. That helps. And she was a warmer to the king. And she ministered to him, but the king did not know her. Did not have relations with her of any kind. So, nearly 70 years old, and the common cultural thing to do was to find a young woman who could come and warm the shivering king. Okay. Next section. Abinahu, Adonijah, it may say. His quest for power. This is the fourth son of David. Absalom killed one of them. This is the fourth son who would have had claim. The first one, you remember that guy? He raped his sister, one of David's daughters. and Abs- He was killed by Absalom. Absalom tried to take the throne from David. He was killed by Joab, David's general. There's a third, there's another son, nothing nothing of which is said except in the listings. His name is given, probably died at a young age. This guy, you would think, would be the next in line to be the king. At least he thought he was. Because he was the, at that point, the oldest son of King David. Adonihu, the son of Hagit, exalted himself. His father is in a weakened condition. He is the oldest son. So he has his sight on the throne. He made for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. It would make him look important. It's the same thing Absalom did if you go back and read the account of Absalom. His father had not angered him all his days saying, why have you done so? And he too was a very handsome appearance. And she bore him after Absalom. And you remember Absalom was that handsome guy with all the hair? So this guy's handsome. David had good-looking kids. And he conferred with Joab. Now, the inner circle begins to break apart in David's administration, in David's reign as king. Joab, at one time, for most of the time, was was the chief officer of David's army. He was... He was the man. He was in charge of all of the soldiers of the military of David, Joab. But he did something David didn't like, which was namely kill his son Absalom when David told him not to, but he did anyway. 
You know, Absalom got his hair hung in a tree and he just was easy pickings for Joab. So David demoted him and, and put his cousin in charge of the army. So he has this chip on his shoulder, this Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiatar, the priest, and they helped by following after Adonaihu. So there's another priest called Zadok. This guy, he, um, he assumed the priesthood. We won't go through all that. But anyway, so here is one of the, one of the two main guys who are, who are priests. Joab, the guy who for so long was the commander of the military of Israel. And they get into a conspiracy or into cahoots. They begin to follow Adonihu. He said, I'm going to be king. He makes for himself a parade and makes up some body, royal bodyguards for himself, makes everything look good. And David, being in a weakened state, didn't know what was going on. We'll see that later. All of this, all of this stuff is going on and the public sees it. But David obviously is in pretty bad shape and he doesn't know what's going on. But David is still the king. Zadok the priest and Benaihu the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Rei and the mighty men who were with David were not with Adonaihu. Okay, this is the other priest. And then all the mighty men. And of course, David, uh, Nathan the prophet and these other two guys. And Adonihu slew sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zohelet, which is beside En Rogel. And he called all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants, and Nathan the prophet, and Benehu, and the mighty men, and his brother Solomon, he did not call. Well, he knew they wouldn't go along. And if you remember, David had already stated, and we saw this in the latter part of uh, Second Chronicles. David had already said to some people that Solomon was going to follow him on the throne. So naturally, he wouldn't ask Solomon to come, and he wouldn't ask these others to come. He didn't want anything to do with those mighty men. So they weren't invited to the shindig that was going on that uh, Adonihu had, had thrown for himself, declaring himself to be the king. Now Solomon is Bathsheba's son. Nathan, you remember him, the prophet, Nathan. So they, they, they come up with an idea of their own to stop all of this because this is not right. Nathan said to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, saying, You have surely heard that Adonihu, the son of Haggith, has reigned, and our Lord David didn't know it. And now come, and I shall counsel you with advice 
and you shall save your life in the life of your son Solomon. The first thing this guy would have done when he would, when he would have completely seized and consolidated his power, the first thing he would have done would have, would have been to kill Solomon, who was David's choice, and then kill his mother as well. Go and come to King David, and you shall say to him, Surely you, my lord, the king, did swear to your maid, saying that Solomon your son will reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. Now why did Adonihu reign? Behold, you are talking there with the king, and I shall come in after you, and I shall complete your words. And Bathsheba came in unto the king and into the chamber, and the king was very old. He's just a kid. He's younger than me. <laughs> and Abishag the Shunammite, the Shunammites, ministered the king. Bathsheba bowed her head and prostrated herself unto the king, and the king said, What is your wish? And she said to him, My lord, you swore. By Yahweh your God to your maid that Solomon your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. That's what you told me. Now remember David has put away some years earlier. He has put away all of his concubines and all of his wives and his only wife then would be Bathsheba. And now behold Adonihu has reigned, and now, my lord, the king, you did not know. And he has slain oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance. And he called all the king's sons, and Abiata the priest, and Joab the general of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he did not call. And you, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel upon you, that you should tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. This was the design of the kingdom. It was the right and responsibility of the king. And David had not exercised that right publicly at this point in time. So Bathsheba is explaining to him everything that's going on. Otherwise, when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers... And I and my son Solomon shall be considered offenders. Behold, she was still speaking with the king, and Nathan Nathan the prophet came. And they told the king, saying, Behold, Nathan the prophet. And he came in before the king. He prostrated himself under the king upon his face to the ground. The literal Hebrew says he put his nose on the earth. And Nathan said, My lord the king, did you say... Adonihu shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. For he has gone down this day and has slain oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance. He called all the king's sons and the officers of the army, Abiatar the priest. And behold, they eat and drink before him, and they said, Long live King Adonihu. And me... Even me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Nehu the son of Jehoiada, and Solomon your servant, he didn't call. If this matter stems from my lord the king, I wonder 
that you have not informed your servant who should sit on the throne of my Lord, the king after him. If this is the way it is, why haven't you said anything about it? Now, he may be old, but he is not so old that he still can't take charge of his kingdom, make the decision that needs to be made and do what he has to do. So now Solomon is named king. King David answered and said, call Bathsheba to me. And she came before the king and stood before the king. And he swore and said, I swear as Yahweh lives who redeemed my soul from all distress. Indeed, as I swore to you by Yahweh, the God of Israel saying, surely Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne in my stead. Surely so will I do this day. Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth. She prostrated herself to the king and said, let my Lord King David live forever. And King David said, call to me Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Menehu the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king and the king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and you shall cause Solomon my son to ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gehom. It's interesting, I have it highlighted in the, uh, the Hebrew, it's, it's in the feminine. The mule is in the feminine. Israel, by, by the law of Moses, Israel could not crossbreed animals. So if they were to have a mule which was seen in that day as something extravagant and expensive, they would have to go to another nation and buy the mule. There would be a specific mule, and it, had, it was a female. They were the female mules. Don't ask me. I, I may have ridden a mule in my life. I don't know, but they say that the female mule rides better than the male mule. Anybody want to back that up? Okay. So it's, it just tells us that the language is giving us very specific uh, description here of what's going on. So it was in that day, in that culture, it was an expensive animal, an unusual animal. And it was the best, and it was the best riding animal uh, for royalty. So he says, I want my mule, my own mule. I want Solomon seated on that. And I want him brought down to get home. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet shall anoint him there as king over Israel. And blow the horn and say, long live King Solomon. Now this is something that Adonahu could not do. He didn't have access to all of the royalty and the official proclamation. And you shall come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne and he shall reign in my stead. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. Benehu, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. May Yahweh, the Lord God of my king, say so too. As Yahweh was with my lord the king, so shall he be with Solomon and make his throne greater 
than the throne of my Lord, King David. Now, only the king could call in in the correct fashion, could call in the main priest and then the others as well and call for an anointing, a special anointing as we will see here. So Solomon is anointed by the priest and Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet Benahu, the son of Jehoiada and the Kerithites and the Pelethites, those were special bodyguards of the king, went down and caused Solomon to ride on King David's mule and brought him to, brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took the horn of oil. Now I have that underlined here because it's a definite article used in the, in the Hebrew text. And this oil is in a special flask that is preserved. And it is the very oil that Moses himself mixed up from olive oil for the most consecrated uh, anointing. So I don't know. He didn't have access to this oil. So David, David grants access to this particular oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn and all the people said, long live King Solomon. And all the people came up after him and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy. And the earth was rent. It was shaken by their sound. So this was a massive crowd. And Adonihu and all the guests who were with him heard it. And they finished eating. And as Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is the noise of the city turbulent? While he was still speaking, and behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiata, the priest came. And Adonihu said, come in for you're a valiant man and bring good, good news. Bring me some good news. And Jonathan answered and said to Adonihu, but our Lord, King David, <laughs> has made Solomon king. And the king sent with him Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benehu the son of Jehoiada and the Kedathites and Pelethites. See, all of these were very official people and only the king could command them. And they have caused him to ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon. And they have come up from their rejoicing and therefore the city was turbulent. This is the noise that you've heard. And also Solomon was sitting on the throne of the kingdom. After the procession, he goes and takes his seat on the throne of the king of Israel. And also the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David saying, May Elohim make the name of Solomon better than your name and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed down upon the bed. And also this the king said, blessed be Yahweh, uh, God of Israel, who has given this day one to sit on my throne and my eyes to see it or seeing it. And all Adonihu's guests trembled and arose and went each man to his way. You see, this is high treason. They can have their heads lopped off right there. So here are the mighty men who have stood with David. Here are these tough guys that are, his, that, that are special men, they're his bodyguards, and all the other people. So they begin to be afraid because they chose the wrong guy. And Adonihu was fearful of Solomon. And he rose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. 
And it was told to Solomon saying, behold, Adonai who fears King Solomon. Okay, now here we begin to see if we go back um, that he's in the midst of fear. He doesn't have the ability to, he doesn't have the personality or the ability or the spiritual resource to assert himself in this difficult situation. Now he's afraid and he runs away and goes to take the horns of the altar. So we can see he really was unfit to be king anyway. And it was told to Solomon saying, behold, Adonai who fears King Solomon, behold, he's taking the horns of the altar saying, let King Solomon swear to me today that he should not kill his servant with the sword. Well, by this time, nobody is impressed with this guy. He's begging for his life from his brother. And Solomon said, if he, if, if he will be a valiant man, even one hair of his, even one hair of his shall not fall to the ground. Even not, it said not a single hair, not even one hair shall fall to the ground. But if wickedness be found in him, he shall die. King Solomon sent, they brought him down from the altar and he came in and prostrated himself before the King Solomon and Solomon said to him, go home, <laughs> go to your house. Now this story continues and I think as we go, you will really gain an appreciation for Solomon and his leadership skills and abilities as we go from here. But for now, uh, we will have our deacon prayer time.